0: episode number 75 of the Canadian Prepper podcast. We are recording on July the 5th, 2020. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and a computer geek. As a first responder, I witnessed uh, an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, and I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared for at least 72 hours, and if not longer.
1: I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall safety nerd.
2: And I'm Hughes from Nova Scotia. I'm a Canadian Armed Forces veteran, volunteer firefighter, and current station chief. I'm also a volunteer search and rescue technician and prepper. Um, I've been preaching and living the prepper lifestyle to varying degrees for the past six years or so, and this was born out of necessity for the short and long-term survival of my family, which includes uh, three young children. So you want
0: to uh, help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper podcast on the air, you can buy a Canadian Prepper podcast t-shirt at... uh, www.rapidsurvival.com all the proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled
1: and if you are enjoying the show please take a few minutes, like us on Facebook submit a review on iTunes we also want your feedback, good or bad or even if there's just a topic you want us to cover you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca
0: so we've got some uh, trailered content for you in this episode Uh, We're going to start off with that joke. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's 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 75 episodes in. So, you know, they're going to get worse as we go. Uh, We're going to start off with some preparedness related news articles. Next, we'll let you know what we did uh, since the last episode to uh, help improve our preparedness. Then we're going to get into the main topic. And uh, Ian wanted me to take a second and just let everybody know that he's got a giant disdain for all the listeners. He chose not to show up this evening. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> he's not working uh, oh Maybe it's him. my it's my turn <laughs> to get him <laughs> um so for news i uh just found one little article where the uh one little article it's probably fairly significant at this point um police in seattle have decided that it's time to evacuate the uh, autonomous zone or organized protest or whatever they're calling it these days amid a rash of shootings wherein that the, the uh, respond the first responders could not access the people the the wounded people because of um, political challenges shall we say um, so it's uh, <laughs> I found it really interesting of note in this particular article this one came from the Guardian um, it said that the protesters argue that these shootings are normal for the area in attempt to justify having the police stay away
3: hmm.
1: All right. That, that's all I'm going to say about that. So if these shootings are normal for the area, is it maybe that there's another, that there's an underlying problem we need to resolve that I'm eliminating. The police hasn't resolved. Just, you know, throwing that out there.
0: I'm guessing the fact that it was reported on, at all means that the police were called as a result of the shooting.
1: Yeah. There's, you know, <laughs> there's, I think there's, there's, there. more, there's more to it than just, uh, than just defunding the police. <laughs> who knew well, it's weird. Call the police for a shooting
0: in an area you don't want them at. Yeah. No. Uh, I, I found a news article here. It's from Australia, uh, but I figured it, uh, it made sense to, to throw in for this episode. Uh, they've got a uh, solar-powered disaster management trailer for uh, the Rockhampton area. So it's a little article, just detailing information about the trailer. I guess they can uh, pull it around the various locations where disaster may strike or they need uh, a portable power of some sort and they can help out with uh, charging electronic devices and uh, and supplying power for uh, for areas that are hit by disaster. That's neat. That's, real. That's yeah, really that was, handy. That was a neat idea.
2: Uh, so for me, we had, uh, Now I talked about it on the podcast lat- last week, we had the Atlantic bubble. So for those who don't know, um, the uh, four maritime provinces in Eastern Canada have decided to open up to one another, uh, meaning that we can travel within uh, the four provinces without the need to self-isolate. And just an uh, interesting article that I found that there were 17,000 vehicles that entered uh, New Brunswick on the first day of the Atlantic bubble. Um, I definitely wouldn't have thought it would have that many. Um, at some point, they said the lineups were six to seven kilometers long um so i'm kind of expecting a rise in cases but at the same time the these four provinces in eastern canada basically have had zero to uh, almost no cases uh in the last few weeks so hopefully we won't see a rise but yeah just interesting 17,000 vehicles in one day so <laughs>
1: I wonder what what all that travel was so important for.
2: So a lot of it were um, friends and family that haven't been able to see each other for for months, right? Uh, Because it was only essential travel that was being allowed between the provinces. And even then you had to self-isolate for 14 days. So like if you wanted to go from New Brunswick to Nova Scotia, you had to self-isolate 14 days before being able to return. And then you had to self-isolate there for 14 days. So you're basically eating a month of your time to self-isolate if you were to travel, right? So, right. Yeah. So a lot of it is that cause, uh, you know, commercial traffic and all that kind of stuff was still allowed. It was just, um, for leisure and stuff like that. So,
1: hmm. a lot of traffic. It's a lot of traffic. It is. 17,000 yeah. cars. I can just, I can just like, I can feel my head exploding being stuck <laughs> in
2: I don't know. I mean, obviously, I, I, I don't know what the typical volume is on the Trans Canada for traffic into New Brunswick. I mean, it may be 30,000 a day. I have no idea, right? But it just strikes me as
1: big, yeah. I, I bet you it's not a seven-kilometer-long backup. Bet no, you not definitely cool. not. <laughs>
2: I've been to New Brunswick, and there's there's not much there. Sorry for everyone in New Brunswick. So. <laughs> oh,
1: I, my, my, whole fam- my whole family, my whole family's in New Brunswick. Some of whom may be listening to my PR. Hello, and uh, no, there's, there's there's not that. I don't think there's that much. There's there's enough reason to go there for that long of a lineup. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, shall we move oh. into what
1: we've done lately for preps? Yes, I think that's a great idea.
2: All right. Uh, So I spent uh, the last three days or so, I had a long weekend, yay, Uh, finished all my small engine maintenance for the year, Uh, something I started in the fall but didn't get uh, to to finish it all up, sorry, Uh, cleaned up the garage, which is something that uh, becomes kind of like a junk repository in our home, that's where all the junk goes, and then every once in a while I have to clean it up, Uh, and more travel trailer preps and upgrades, which we'll talk about um, during the main topic of the show.
0: Nice. Uh, so I did a whole ton of uh, brush cutting on the property with a, a friend of mine. Uh, so we got lots of the, uh, the limbs away from the uh, the property fence that we're going to be extending out along the entire property. Once the back uh, backyard gets all figured out and filled in, uh, also had a bunch of limbs that were a little trickier to get at uh, that were getting pretty close to the house. So we got those uh, cleared away. So if uh, some bad weather does come through, well, at least the limbs aren't going to be causing any damage to the uh, the house or the or the fence. So that's good. Uh, met up with Alan, had uh, had lunch and had a good chat, so that was fun. And um, also got um, some of the, the sump pump in the one corner of the house rerouted away uh, because we're filling that pond in in the back and uh, regaining a bunch of land. The sump uh, was, was draining out there, so got that all uh, moved to an alternate location, the drain, so it's not draining uh, near the house, it's away and all cleared up. So slowly making progress in the backyard. Although we've had one truckload come in and that's it because weather sucks.
1: It is a heck of a backyard. So my (laughs) highlight of the week was going to hang out with Eric. Um, That was, (laughs) that was a fun time. Picked up some new goodies and um, put those, uh, put those into service this week. Um, Of course, kicking myself for not buying more, but that's, uh, you know, I could, I could literally just divert my entire paycheck into into Eric's bank account and, and just, and never, never have all the stuff that I want. Send my little guy to university. It'd be great. <laughs> uh, so this week, uh, we made a big tree go boom. That was a, uh, it was a big Manitoba maple that was near the house and leaning towards the house and very clearly rotting away. So we cut that down. So I now have a new source of firewood um, and got... Uh, Got a good workout with my chainsaw, and more to come this week. I uh, Did some camping this weekend with the family, so had some good family fun and did got some uh, got some outdoor skills put to the test. We uh, uh, went and did some fishing on the on the big lake and used a reflector oven and started fires without matches and started fires with wet wood, which was a super interesting uh, thing to do in 40 plus degree heat. Uh, so that was uh, oh, it was it was brutal. the The smoke is, is worse than, uh, worse than I've ever had to experience in camp before Um, so this afternoon when we got home we unpacked the car got everything reset and then had a little family debrief to um, kind of improve what we carry and the and tailor the kit to be a little bit more useful Um, as most people do we tend to pack a whole lot more than we actually need Uh, so we're gonna pare that down and I'm trying to get everything down into one tote for the one tote for the camp one cooler and then two bags that include the tent And like one, one for the shelter and one for the sleeping, the sleeping arrangements. So I'm trying to get that sorted so that we can kind of pick up and go at a moment's notice, which is not only fun for impromptu weekend camping trips, but also for 20 minutes to bug out. But that's, uh, you know, the the two things go hand in hand. Nice.
0: All right. Let's move into the main topic. We'll let uh, Hughes run with it.
2: Yeah, all right, so um, this is just, uh, I guess we're going to be talking about travel trailers and RVs, and a lot of this is from knowledge I've gained um, just from personal research and from having owned one for all of uh, about three weeks now, so uh, believe it or not, uh, YouTube has been a really good friend of mine lately <laughs> to uh, learn as much as I can, um, and I think it comes down to um, really the pros and the cons. So. You know, for us, the pro is that you know it is a vehicle that you can bug out in. I mean, obviously, it's it's a house on wheels, right? So it's something that you know you can you can just hook up to your vehicle. Um, typically, you'd have this kind of all stocked up to go for for, for the weekend camping trip, anyway. Um, just add some food, and and you're right ready to roll, right? So the advantages, obviously, are that it's it's not just something that lends itself to preparedness; it's something that you can use with your family as well. Um, you can go out and go 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 camping. If you've ever been camping in a tent when it's raining. Or, and all that kind of stuff, you know, how miserable it can be. So having a solid roof over your head is, you know, a great advantage. Um, So looking at it in in that sense, um, you know, having the RV is is something that can be used for, you know, the family outings um, can be used for if you go, you know, hunting or fishing and all that kind of stuff and you would just want to get away on like like a weekend trip. Um, And also for the preparedness. I mean, if you have to bug out, uh, typically you'd have this packed anyway. And then if you have to bug out knowing that you may not be coming back to your house because, um, you know, something like a fire could be incredible on your property. At that point, you could pack your bins into the vehicle. They typically, um, it, it ranges on the size of the vehicle and all that kind of stuff. But you typically have a couple thousand pounds to play with as far as what you can add to the vehicle. Um, and if it's only a short distance, then it's probably not that big of a deal to go over uh, what the vehicle is capable of. Um, so that's kind of like the starting point um, is, is just to make sure that, you know, this is gonna fit your lifestyle. It's gonna fit um, your preparedness planning and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of a good point to start. Um, now, I'm just going to quickly talk about the differences in in the types of travel trailers and motorhomes and all that kind of stuff. Because when we say RV, it's kind of like an all-encompassing term for recreational vehicle. Um, and really, you're looking at, you know, Class A, Class C. Um, you've got travel trailers. You've got fifth wheels. You've got pop-ups and all that kind of stuff. The one that I bought is a uh, 29-foot bumper pole, which is basically pulled by the bumper of the vehicle. Um, a fifth wheel um, is, is also a travel trailer that looks like... Um, Um, uh, the the trailer of a semi so it basically hooks into the bed of the vehicle as opposed to being pulled by the bumper Um, and then class A and class C are the motorhomes that are self-propelled so essentially they're either a diesel pusher like Eric has in the back uh, in this picture there be behind him so that's like the big bus like conversions these are very very expensive very large Um, the class C are the ones that are typically like a pickup truck conversion so you'd have like an F 350 maybe an E 350 chassis and then you'd have kind of like the motorhome popped onto it. Um, And then other ones are like the pop-ups, which we all know what those those are. I mean, they they can be towed by a sedan and you basically arrive to your site, you pop it up, you put the tents out and you're ready to go at that point. So I think when it comes to, you know, if if you've made the decision to get a travel trailer because it's going to suit your family um, and it's something that you could definitely incorporate into your preparedness plans, um, you really have to ask yourself, what's your budget? And also, are you capable of towing it? So if if you currently own, you know, Volkswagen Jetta, um, you're really gonna be limited into what you can pull. Although if you own something like, you know, a 3,500 uh, one ton truck, your, your, your options are gonna be almost limitless as to what you can actually pull, right? So it really comes down to what can you afford and what can you tow right now? Because if you can't, if you don't have a vehicle capable of towing what you're looking at, then you have to look at upgrading your vehicle as well. So when it came to uh, my purchase, um, I really wanted to be in at no more than about twenty to $25,000 all in um, because this was going to be our first one. We didn't know if we were going to enjoy it or not or if we were going to keep it. Um, and you have to understand that travel trailers, unlike, um, you know, other vehicles, um, they depreciate a lot quicker than something like a car or a truck. So you're talking you know, the depreciation is anywhere from 40 to 50% once you drive the vehicle off the lot. So you pay $40,000 for an RV, um, you want to flip it the next year, it's probably worth about $20,000 at that point. Um, so they depreciate a lot. Um, so at that point, we uh, we looked at getting a used travel trailer, which is what we did. We got one that was about a year old. um had only been used about three weeks. Um, so so for us, you know, somebody else ate the depreciation on the vehicle, which was quite significant. Um, you know, we paid around $21,000 for this, and the going rate when it was new last year was like $37,000. So, somebody ate $16,000 in depreciation wow. for three weeks of use, right? So That's, uh, that's worth it right there. <laughs> right, and then the second consideration was, can, can I tow it? Uh, so, my truck is capable of towing 11,900 pounds. It's definitely not something I'd want to max out, uh, but this trailer is coming in at just around $4,900 pounds dry Uh, and when you say dry it means that uh, it's it's just a bare trailer there's no there's no accessories in it uh there's nothing that you've added uh the the tanks are empty so your water tank your sewage tank all that stuff are empty so you know 4,900 pounds um is the dry weight and then the hitch weight is about 500 um throw in a weight distribution hitch rate weight distribution hitch so you're not squatting too much uh and um and and yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm basically um, I'm not even at half of what I can tow. So those are the two big considerations. And what we ended up getting is, uh, like I said, like a 2019, 29 foot travel trailer. There's no slides in it, uh, but this is something I can sleep 10 people. You know, there's a queen bed in the front. There's two double over double uh, bunks in the back. Uh, full three piece bathroom, full kitchen. Uh, there's a dinette. There's a sofa. Both of those turn into double beds. Just so, so you can sleep 10. 10 people yeah wow so yeah you'd have two in the queen um i mean i mean the dinette and the, the sofa bed um or the sofa turned into double beds now could you fit two adults on a double yeah you could i mean you know it probably wouldn't be as comfortable but yeah so they listed as sleeping 10 people i mean we've had you know if you have you know two adults and six kids then it's it's gonna be fine right so um, so yeah, so a, a lot of these even pop-ups can sleep like six people because you have two beds on either side and then the dinette will turn into a bed as well, right? So you have to look to look at this as you know, in the evening, once once the partying is done and all that kind of stuff, this is just a giant tent, right? This is just a place to sleep, essentially, right? So that's why you have that much um sleeping space in these things. So hmm. so yeah, that my my biggest piece of advice, and this is something that I got from um from talking to a lot of people, from doing a lot of research on that kind of stuff, is, you know, new is nice, and new comes with a warranty and all that kind of stuff, but if you get something that's very lightly used, like maybe one to two years, um, the thing is, is that these these things are built very cheaply, very quickly, and they're going to have issues. No matter if you're new or used, you're going to run into issues. Um, and it, in my opinion, it's probably better to let the original owner get get through those issues, um, get them warranty through the dealer, because the warranty is also only applicable to the first owner, which means that if somebody buys it, uh, uses it for six months and then I buy it. There's no warranty on it. That's it. Um, and extended warranties you're talking like four or five thousand dollars for something that's only worth about 20 grand so you're better pocketing that cash and taking your chances as to whether or not some some something's going to break on it mm-hmm. so again your mileage may, may vary based on your dealer your location what type of rv you're looking at but this is just my personal experience that i was buying you know a twenty thousand dollar used uh travel trailer and the warranty on it was you know five thousand dollars for five years so to me, that was just not worth it. I'd rather put the, the money in the bank and risk it
1: if something breaks on it. So, yeah, I'd be looking at the same thing, I think. Well, I suppose it depends on what breaks and your ability to fix it yourself. If you're I a too. handy guy that you can uh, you can do both carpentry and mechanical work, then it shouldn't be a big deal to fix most of that stuff yourself. Because as you said, it's basically just a big ten ton wheels. So if you've got it is, basic yeah. skills, then you can fix most of those things to at least an acceptable level on your own. Right. And understand that the warranty is not
2: g- going to cover things like your brakes that wear out or your tires that wear out. These are wear and tear items, right? Like the warranty is going to cover things like workmanship materials um, that fail. Uh, but you have to understand that these are very, they have to be very light in order to go down the road. I mean, if, if these travel trailers were built to the same standards that the house was, I mean, you know, a 29 foot travel trailer would weigh 20,000 pounds and, <laughs> you know, most vehicles couldn't pull it at that point. So they're, they're built with ultra light materials, which means that when it's going down the highway and it's moving and flexing your fasteners are going to come loose you're going to break fasteners you're going to break rivets um i mean ours is only you know a year old and i've already found about 20 broken screws and rivets and all that kind of stuff and i've been fixing trim pieces and anyone who's on a travel trailer will tell you these things are constantly breaking in a sense that a lot of it is cosmetic but you have to keep up the maintenance on it the big items are your air conditioner your three-way fridge um your furnace your hot water heater because of the fact that they're very specialized items. So to give you an example, like a six gallon hot water heater for an RV is 800 bucks. I mean a 40 gallon hot water heater from home Depot is like five or six hundred bucks, right? But the difference is, is that the hot water heater for the RV is both electric and gas. So it, it'll do one or the other. And then it's a very specialized item that has to go in a vehicle. Um, if you're looking at the fridge, the fridges are anywhere from 1500 to $3,500, and they're only six cubic feet. A typical household refrigerator is, you know, 33 to 40 cubic feet. So this is tiny, but... These are fridges that are three-way, meaning that they'll work off 110, which is your shore power. It'll work off 12 volt or uh, propane gas as well. So this is a fridge that'll work on any one of these three sources. Um, and again, there's there's a lot of technology that goes into these. Um, but, you know, this isn't something that typically breaks. Um, you know, a lot of people have 25-year-old travel trailers and the fridges are still working fine. So. Yeah. But those are your big ticket items: t- 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 the air conditioners, uh, the fridges, the hot water heaters, the furnaces. These are these are items that really, um, that that add up in terms of cost. But they're user serviceable items that, if you're any any you know, if you're mechanically inclined, it's not going to be that big of a deal to change out. So. Um, the other big items are your roof. So a lot of them have what's called an—I think it's an EPDM or TPO roof, which is like a rubber membrane. Um, so these are, you know, fifteen hundred to three grand to replace. Um, so you just want to make sure you keep the maintenance on it. If you have any damage, you patch it up. Um, other than that, I mean, they're fairly—they're fairly sturdy. Uh, it just comes down to make sure you don't strike anything with it. So a lot of times I see people complaining that you know I broke my RV, but they—they they have a, a tree strike, you know, and they said I was only going twenty kilometers an hour when I when I hit a tree. But you know, take take. A two by four and slam it into something at 20 kilometers an hour that's made of, you know, balsam wood and, and, and and like aluminum, and you're going to see what's going to happen, right? So, you're going to leave a (laughs) dent. You're going to leave a dent. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, Part of the decision-making process also has to be like, what are you willing to live without? So if something breaks while you're on the road, yeah. What, like, what's your, what's your backup plan to to deal with that until you can get it back to wherever it is, and and get it repaired, right? So that's I think is that, is it reasonable to say that your your three-way twelve-volt propane one ten fridge could work on one of the other solutions if one of them fails? Yeah, hundred percent. And it's the same thing for the hot water heater. So. I mean, if you burn out your electrical
2: uh, your electrical element, chances are your gas is still able to heat the water, right? So you do have kind of a backup built in there. I mean, if there's another type of failure, like your tank actually wears out, um, then, you know, but you've got to think as well that this is something that you're probably not going to live in full time. So when you're not living in it, you drain the water out of the tank so that it's not attacking a tank, just things like that, right? Like you don't leave the fridge running 24-7 for the whole year. When you're done camping, you unplug it and you you crack it open so it doesn't build mold or anything. But you basically these items are getting very little use in terms of you know maybe a week or two a year maybe more depending on how much you're camping right but um, these are items that are not going to have a lot of use and uh, again if you keep the maintenance up on it you shouldn't have any troubles with, with most of them so um,
1: so when you were when you were deciding on on a trailer what were your what were you looking for when you uh, when you settled on settled on this one.
2: So good, good, good question. Um, I, <laughs> I had a very limited scope that I wanted something that would um, would fit my family. So again, it's my wife and I, and then our three kids. Um, so I wanted something that had uh, the bunks in the rear and the queen bedroom in the front, so we would have enough living room or you know living space essentially that you're not having to convert um, a sofa into a bed every night for you and your spouse. So we have a dedicated bed. The kids have their dedicated bunks. Um, three piece bath again because having an actual bathtub instead of a shower for the kids is great uh, given the age of my children which are like 2, 4 and 6 um, and then just having somewhat of like an eating area especially if it's like it's, if it's getting into the colder months, um, you know if you start camping early in April or going into October here in Canada those temperatures can get dipped into the single digits um, as well as if it's raining so I mean if you're camping and it's raining it's not that big of a deal you're, you're actually inside of an RV so for me it's making sure that it fit my family's needs, um, that I was capable of towing it and one thing uh, one big thing I was looking at is whether or not to get a Slide so a slide out is exactly like like it sound it's just part of the trailer slides out to give you more living room within the trailer itself. Um, but this has you know pros and cons as well. So the pros are that you get more living room area or more living space area. You you actually increase the square footage of of the coach when the when the slide is deployed. But when it isn't deployed, it's kind of hard to navigate your way around. So you know when you come to a stop and rest area, if you actually wanted to get the most out of your coach would have to extend that slide out every time um, so there's there's a con there um, you know these are mechanisms again that have to be very light but very sturdy so these are mechanisms that can break they can become out of alignment um, the slides can actually leak um, because it's it's just an extra amount of area for water to uh, get ingress um, and other things as well is that it destabilizes the trailer in terms of weight because you have you know a 1500 pound slide on one side of the coach or on one side of the trailer that's not on the other side of the trailer, so you you're basically unbalancing the trailer a little bit. Um, you have other considerations like it actually reduces the structural tra- integrity of the trailer, uh, meaning that you know you have you know a solid a solid wall and you're basically cutting a gigantic hole out of it and sliding a slide into it, um, that actually destabilizes the structural integrity of the trailer. So there's that to consider as well. Um, So, you know, we said, you know, we don't necessarily need the living space because when we go out camping, we're not going to be actually spending all our time in the trailer. We won't want to spend time outside of the trailer and just use this as an easier way for us to cook and sleep and, and wash our kids than being an actual tent. Because that's not a very pleasurable experience when your your kids are two, four, and six. So mm-hmm. those are the main f- main main pieces of, of consideration. And to be honest, most trailers are kind of the same in terms of you've only got a few basic layouts. Um, each manufacturer is going to have its own kind of layout based on the, the the length of the trailer. But most of them are going to have you know the three piece bath. They're going to have um, the three burner range, the oven, the microwave, and all that kind of stuff. So there's very little differences in them aside from the floor plan and the actual length of them essentially. Mm-hmm.
1: OK, and so what you, so you've got 110 power, you've got 12 volt power is uh, is everything does ev- is everything dual voltage or do you run or is it just the fridge that runs on dual volt?
2: No, so yeah, it's a good good qu- qu- question. So all of the lights in the coach, inside and out, are 12 volt. Um, so all of your lighting is 12 volt. Um, your fridge is 12 volt, 110 or propane. Uh, your hot water is 110 or propane. Now, if you're going to be running your hot water off 110 only, it takes like five or six hours to get the water warm. Uh, propane, 20 minutes. So you know you could heat it up with the propane, shut your propane off to save your gas, switch it to shore power. So you're basically running the the hot water uh, hot water heater off 110 at that point. Um, but yeah, um, other than that you you basically have an inverter built into the to, to the trailer that's always charging your 12 volt system so when you're plugged into shore power that inverter is providing power for all the 12 volt um, systems within the coach and actually charging your battery as well um, and then there's a number of outlets within the trailer that are all 110 and those don't work unless you are plugged into shore power or you add an, an inverter to basically go from 12 volt to 110 and then you have to have an automatic switch that would switch between shore power and Um, the, the inverter inside your trailer. So if you're not plugged into shore power, then at that point you'd be running off the batteries for your 110, which is all of, all of your outlets inside the, the RV essentially.
1: So what, uh, what kind of, um, draw are you getting on your, on your lighting then? Like what, do you know what the, what the amps are that, that's, that it's drawing? Yeah,
2: I do actually, I put it into the notes. Um,
1: let me pull it up here. You put a lot into the notes, frankly. I, I put, put a lot it. in the notes, yeah. <laughs> so,
2: I don't usually write this much, but uh, yeah. Um, I don't see where I put it. I saw the it in here. 920
0: amp hours. Is that where you're no,
2: 920 about? amp hours no. is, is what I have for uh, the batteries. Um, okay. yeah. And it, anyways, I think when I calculated it was something like 2.1 or 2.2 amps when I've got all the lights on. So that includes the, okay. the inside led. Well, this is a newer trailer. So it's got all led lights inside and out. Um, if you're looking at an older trailer, probably three or four years old and older, you're looking at incandescent bulbs, um, throughout. So you'd probably be drawing almost eight or nine amps at that point. But that was, I mean, you know for maybe 100 bucks or 200 bucks you can switch all those incandescent lights to leds and then you're drawing much much less power at that point um Typically, these trailers come with like a 12-volt deep-cycle uh, marine battery that's going to give you anywhere's between 210 to 230 amp hours. So again, if I had, if I had all my lights on, I can go what 100 110 hours with all my lights on. So that's something like four and a half days almost. Um, but wow. to yeah, so the upgraded electrical system went from a 12-volt um, deep-cycle battery to four golf cart batteries, which are basically deep cycle AGM uh, that are wired in series and parallel, which give me a total of 920 amp hours. So if I were to run all of my lights inside and out, um, I'd have something like 450 hours, which is almost 10 and a half days. I'm just kind of doing math on the fly here, but yeah. So it gives me a lot longer time that I can be off grid uh, rather than the,
1: the the battery that just comes with it, right? So. And you've got you've got a solar setup on this too, right? If you're If you're parked for any length of time?
2: Yeah, so it's uh, two 480-watt panels, um, 960 watts in total with the Renogy charge controller. Uh, So those are basically always on, and they're always charging the 12-volt. There is a disconnect, uh, but the the charger is a smart charger. So basically, once the batteries reach their float voltage, um, the charger goes into a maintenance mode as opposed to, you know, keep pounding the amps into the, the, the batteries and, and, and cook, cook them, essentially, right? So, uh, yeah, so I've got 960 watts of solar on the top, um, 920 amp hours in the battery bank. So if the solar panels aren't there or not functioning, I've got about 10 and a half days or so um, of being able to boondock, essentially, or, or not have any shore power coming into the RV. Um, and basically, the only other stuff I'm using 12 volt for is either going to be the fridge or... The pilot light, um, in order to ignite, um, in order to ignite the furnace or uh, the hot water heater. So even if you're only running off uh, propane for your hot water uh, or your furnace, you still need the 12 volt to spark uh, to get that started. There is a way to do it manually. Like you can open up a little access hatch and you can put a lighter in there if you need it to do so. But as long as you have 12 volt, it's it's going to be able to spark that flame. So. Mm. And that's the only stuff, oh, sorry, there's also a 12-volt pump within the coach. So if you, there's there's two ways to get water, and there's so much to talk about, guys, I'm sorry, but you're, there's 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 two ways to get water um, to all of your faucets. So obviously, like your kitchen faucet, your bathroom faucet, your toilet, your shower. So you can either be connected to city water, or you can actually fill your um, fresh water tank, which mine is, I believe, is like 60 gallons. Um, and then there's a 12-volt pump on board that basically pulls from that fresh water tank and actually sends it out. Um, to all of those faucets. Um, but if you're connected to like a campsite or at home, you wouldn't actually fill your fresh water tank. You would just basically connect to the CD line connection. What that does is that it bypasses the tank and only sends water directly to all of your uh, taps and faucets at that point. So, is that water pump by 12 volts as well, do you know? It's it's 12 volts, yeah. yeah. And these are easily serviceable items. I mean, it's like four screws that can get access to it. Um, you know, the terminal connections are are easy to, 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 to take out i mean any rv store you walk into any rv store even places like canadian Tower might might have them you just look for a 12 volt water pump that's it there's nothing special about it right so okay
1: um and so if you have a if you have a uh, an inline um water tank do you then have the ability to filter water if you were if you were you know, talking about an off-grid situation
2: yeah, so, I mean, uh, yeah, as these coaches come from the manufacturer, um, I can guarantee you that most of them don't have any water filtration systems, and it's actually uh, advisable not to drink water that's out of this tank, um, especially if you're buying a used one, because you don't, you don't know what the previous owner did, did with this, right? You can shock the tank. You can, you can put some bleach in and clean it and all that kind of stuff, but really, I would only use the tank for, um, for use in, you know, washing dishes and showering and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, you can actually get, um, like, a reverse osmosis system them to install um, after your 12-volt pump. So the water coming out um, of your system would actually go through that reverse osmosis system. Now, one thing we would recommend is getting like a pre-sediment filter to protect your reverse osmosis membrane because if any rocks or dirt or sand get to that membrane, you can actually damage it. And, you know, the biggest part or one of the biggest parts of a reverse osmosis system is that membrane. That's that's a huge cost right there, right? So just protecting it with like a $20 inline
1: sediment filter is is going to be a great investment as far as that goes, so. Okay. And, uh, um what about uh, what about like general maintenance like if you've got to take this on a long haul um what kind of tire life the tire wear life to get out of it of course it's going to depend a lot on where you're going and how much you're hauling but yeah
2: and you're going to see a lot of people talk about this when it comes to you know most of the again these things are, are made very cheaply and very quickly and one of the ways that they save money is by putting um what they call china bomb tires and i don't mean to be derogatory by any means but that's that's what the industry is calling them. They're calling them, you know, will blow or China bombs because they're actually fairly cheap tires that are sourced out of China. Um, but typically, from from what I've read, if you if you maintain the tires properly, it, you shouldn't have an issue. You're probably gonna you're probably going to dry rot the tires before you wear the life out on the thread on them. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, these trailers sit most of their lives. Um, You may be driving it maybe two, three, maybe four weeks a year. And this is going to be short trips, like a few hundred kilometers each way. Um, So typically you're not going to wear out the tread. So the the tires may physically still look to be fine. If you're looking at the, 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 the thread on the tires alone but what you have to look for is dry rot and cracking, um, you have to look for like bubbles that are forming on the side of the tire but it comes down to ensuring that you're not overloading the tire and overloading the axle so um, if you typically look at a tire you'll see like there's going to be a, um, a, a weight rating on the tire itself mine are something like 2,040 pounds per tire so you know between the four tires I can have a gross vehicle weight of, yeah, I'm sorry it's like 8,400 pounds but the gross vehicle weight is like 6900 pounds right so the tires are actually capable of taking more than what the vehicle is so just ensure that you know you're not overloading your trailer that's that's a huge thing making sure that your tires are inflated to the proper psi and that is going to be written on the side of the rv um and that's very very important because typically car tires are inflated to what 32 35 psi a lot of people make yeah. yeah a lot of people make make the mistake of inflating their their Trailer tires to 35 psi when in reality most of them need need 65 to 80 psi. Um, so yeah, and if you underinflate them, you're creating a lot of flex on that sidewall, and that generates heat, and the heat is what typically will cause a blowout. Um, so I mean the biggest thing is do not ever overload these travel trailers because you're going to be overloading the axle Um, you're going to cause a lot of premature wear on the bearings you're going to cause a lot of premature wear on the brakes Um, you're going to cause a lot of sidewall flex on the tires and these are all expensive components that are going to that are going to cost you a fortune if you overload it right so
1: no, those are uh, th- those run on electric brakes right they run electric brakes yeah yeah so you've got so it's got your typical like your typical seven pin connector something like super special right? seven when pin
2: connector with a breakaway, so that if if the trailer were to detach from the vehicle from the tow vehicle on the highway um it would automatically apply to uh, the brakes at that point um yeah and, and the brakes are something that you know you would have to have a brake controller within your vehicle in order to to control those and you you know make sure you know how to use it so I mean just a quick rundown it's you know if you're in, a, in an empty parking lot like a Walmart parking lot uh, typically your gain is going to be set to five which is kind of the default um, and then you would put your vehicle in drive you take your foot off the brake and then the vehicle is going to start creeping forward um, and then what you want to do is squeeze the brake controller so that the vehicle comes to a comfortable stop if you squeeze the controller and the vehicle jerks to a stop then you have too much gain and you would back it down like 0.5 to 1 uh, and try again and if you squeeze the brake controller and nothing happens, then you need to crank up the gain. And if you got the gain all the way up to 10 and nothing happens, Guess what? Your brakes are shot. So you either have to get that fixed um, or get it looked at because essentially what's going to happen is that when you're going on a highway and you're coming off and on or an, an, an off ramp, that's 6,000 pounds behind you. It's your vehicle brakes that are doing all that work. Can, can it do it? Version. Yeah, it, it can. Yeah. But you're looking at brake fade on your own brakes at this point. You're looking at a lot more wear and tear. And honestly, uh, a brake job on a trailer is like a hundred dollars a wheel. A brake job on a pickup truck is probably three to four hundred bucks a wheel right so make sure that you you wear out your trailer brakes before you wear out the brakes on your vehicle because it 's going to be a lot more expensive to fix your vehicle brakes than it is to fix those cheap uh, trailer brakes at you know
1: hundred bucks a wheel so So for somebody who doesn't um, drive with a trailer, I mean, I haven't backed a trailer in probably 10 years. Um, Is there, like, where where could I go for refresher training on that? You know what? Honestly,
2: um, YouTube. Um, is is going to give you a lot of good pointers as far as as what to do and when to do it. Um, I would recommend you know when you pick up your trailer um, or you pick up you know it, if you haven't backed up a trailer ever or if the longest trailer you've backed up is a four foot landscape uh, tra- trailer, going up to a thirty foot trailer is is a big game changer, right? But believe it or not, the longer the trailer, the easier is it is to back up. So I've got a twelve foot enclosed and I've got this twenty nine foot travel trailer and the twenty nine foot one is easier to back up than the twelve foot one because the hmm. further away your axle is or your axles are from the hitch, the easier it is to control that trailer. Um, right. And it comes down to, you know, go into an empty parking lot, pick, pick a parking spot that you want to back your trailer into and just 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 try it I mean it's you know like you you'll basically find where, where you need to position your vehicle in order to make that one just just that one seamless turn um, but again I mean you know a lot of us are not professional truck drivers so this isn't going to be something that's easy especially where there's a lot of challenges in campgrounds you may have some trees you may have like an electrical post that you have to, to get around um, and people are going to be look, looking at you they're not making fun of you they just they're just interested to see what what were you doing take your time don't worry about what others are thinking because all Ultimately, if you rush it and you strike something with your trailer or your truck, it's going to be coming out of your pocket, right? So just take your time, go easy. Go to Walmart parking lot and practice. Um, but yeah, the longer the trailer, the better. I'm not, I'm not saying go buy a 47 foot trailer, but <laughs> <laughs> it's actually easier. than... I would rather back my 29 foot trailer than have a four foot landscape trailer hooked up and trying to back back that thing up.
0: No, so, it's funny how that
2: works. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's I mean, and I thought you know I heard it and I was like I don't I don't think so. And then I, I remember how it's not hard to back up my 12 foot trailer, but this 29 foot one was
1: like, holy, this is this is a lot easier. <laughs> so, yep. Right on. Um, I've I've run out of questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think Ian had some that he wrote into the uh, the notes, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, mounting a um,
1: bicycle yep. motorcycle on the back is what he was asking about. Yeah,
2: yeah so so yes and no. Um, typically, a lot of these travel trailers will have um, a solid rear bumper, um, and a lot of them will actually have a weight rating on them. I think mine is only 300 pounds, so a motorcycle is going to be a definite no-no. Uh, but mounting a bike rack to put two bikes on it sure that's that's not that big of a deal um, you can definitely get the bumper upgraded where they would actually be a little bit sturdier uh, mounted to mounted the frame rails and all that kind of stuff um, and you do see some people have like golf carts actually mounted on the rear trailer of their travel trailer tra- Trailer, but again typically the average travel trailer is not going to be able to have a golf cart or a motorcycle or anything so um, right from the factory motorcycle and, and all that I would say no bikes yes Um, but yeah, if you want to step up your game and go to a motorcycle, you're definitely going to have to do some work to upgrade the bumper on your trailer. Just remember that stuff's there when you're backing up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too. When they say you've got a 29, like if you look at most travel trailers, you're going to look at the model and it's going to say like 25 SLE or 29 BLS, that number the first number like the 29 designates the the amount of or the length of living space you have in the trailer it doesn't c- take into account the tongue of, of the trailer and the rear bumper of the trailer so on my trailer it's 25 feet of living space and I've got a basically a 4 foot tongue and then like maybe 8 inches um, because my bumper is fairly recessed in, into the trailer but I've seen some that have a bumper that stick out like 2 feet because you can actually put some some bins on there so you know you'd have 2 feet there and you know 3 or 4 Feet for the tongue, so then you're basically adding another five or six feet to your trailer. So if you're looking at like a 29 foot trailer, most of them you're going to add five or six feet, so you're looking at really like a 35 foot trailer at that point. Ian decided to join us, so I'm 43 minutes late. Well, I'm 43 minutes late, and the way I look at it is Trudeau was
3: 45 minutes late, Chris, breathing so I still be to wait too.
1: Touché, <laughs> well played. I mean, well thanks played. for joining us. We were just getting through some of your questions. Um, and actually, there's a question in the uh, in the live chat on Facebook uh, from Jeff Sully, it looks like. He says, what modifications can you do if you need to bug out in the winter? <laughs> So obviously that, that's a big concern because most of us are covered yeah, in snow.
2: That's, that's a really good question, Jeff. And a lot of trailers are going to be designated as three season. Um, most of the trailers that you're going to buy are going to be three season trailers. Um, some are four season, but they're really, really expensive because they really have to step up the amount of insulation that's in the trailer and also protect uh, the plumbing that's under um, the belly of the trailer that's between the frame rails. And when I mean plumbing, I'm talking about all your fresh water, your gray water and your black water tanks. Um so in my trailer it's designated as a three season meaning that um the underbelly of the trailer is insulated so my tanks are basically between the frame rails there's insulation and then there's like a um almost like um a skid plate, but it's made of plastic, that goes underneath that basically would prevent um, the tanks from freezing when it comes to a snap frost. So, I mean, if, you know, the temperatures dip to minus three overnight, not going to be that big of a deal, but I can't have a sustained minus 15 degrees Celsius temperature. Um, the plumbing is going to freeze, the tanks are going to freeze and all that kind of stuff. So, there are four season trailers, but the difference in price is astronomical because they're very rare um, and they're not something that people typically buy. Um, in terms of what you could do, you could add um, heaters to the tank. So there's actually, you, you you can actually buy elements that would go into your tanks um, and agitators that basically keep the water moving and keep the water kind of heated. Um, so you could buy those. You can add more insulation. But again, you basically have to rip the walls apart to add insulation because what comes in the trailer, as far as the furnace, is only really good until the temperature is like minus five Celsius. Anything less than that the propane furnace would not be able to keep up and you'd have to have some sort of auxiliary heat. So maybe some added electrical heat or something like that.
3: Or the worst case, what about it, like uh, take off that pit plate and try to do like a heat tape idea around the, the pipes or anything. Mm-hmm.
2: You definitely could. I think with um, just thinking about how my trailer is built, like I'd have to pull down that skid plate. And unfortunately they didn't screw it in place. They like nailed it in place um, through the steel frame. So, you know, that's, that's one job on its own. You'd have to rip out all the installation in order to add that. So really it's like, if you want a four season trailer, you're better off trying to source one than trying to do what's necessary in order to get that trailer to be livable in four seasons. So, as Mirelda joined us from Southern California. I don't think she would have any issues with a, needing a four-season trailer. <laughs> I think you'd be well.
3: <laughs> you'd be I mean, good. she's she's at a big bear
2: or something like that, I suppose, or Shasta like or, or, or yeah,
0: yeah,
3: yeah, or bugging so, out to Canada. Yeah,
2: yeah. bugging out to Canada. Um, there was another e- e- question here for Ian about insurance differences. Um, so insurance is a bit of a surprise. Um, insurance is actually not cheap on these things. Um, yeah. You can go anywhere from $500 to $1,000 a year. Um, this is in Canadian dollars. So, you know, kind of translate that for our U.S. listeners. Um, and the way it works is that the insurance has to go both under your home insurance and your vehicle insurance. So the way the insurance company sees it is that whenever this travel trailer is hooked up to your vehicle, it goes under your vehicle insurance. Whenever it's stationary, uh, like let's say it's parked in your driveway, it goes under your home insurance. Um, so you basically are paying two different pre premiums. Now, the cheaper one is the uh, the vehicle insurance is only like, I think, uh, $80 for six months. And then the uh, home insurance was like an extra two hundred eighty dollars for six months. And the reason it's so expensive is because you have to understand that for, uh, you know, the replacement value of these vehicles, you know, 20 30 Twenty to $30,000 or so. Uh, but to the insurance companies, they know how shoddily these things are built. Um, and the fact that they have both electrical, uh, 12 volt and 110 volt and gas within the vehicle, that's a lot of risks um, and a lot of risks that they're taking at that point, right? It's not uncommon to, you know, see pictures on the internet of these things going up in flames on the side of the highway or, you know, catching fire in your driveway. Um, again, these things are going to happen and, you know, that's why we're paying the premiums that we are for these things, so... I can imagine a lot of that is
0: based on just poor maintenance and maybe not knowing how to use it right,
2: right. I mean it comes to you know if you have a leak in your roof um, and it goes unchecked for even a few weeks you're probably looking at anywhere from eight to $10,000 in damage uh, because then you're looking at replacing the roof for one which I said was anywhere from 1500 to three grand plus the labor that's only the membrane right so then you have the labor of having it replaced um, and then whatever damage the water did um, and a lot of what's going to be in the trailer is either going to be plywood which are the better trailers or OSB which is the oriented Oriented strand board. Uh, basically, it's just pieces of, of wood that are glued together under pressure, but as soon as water hits it, it bloats, it becomes soft and that, that stuff has to be replaced, right? So you're looking at, you know, mold issues with insulation and, you know, wood being replaced and all that kind of stuff. So I've seen a lot of people say, you know, I had a small leak in my roof, it went unchecked for a few weeks, brought it to a dealer, I'm looking at eight to $10,000 now.
1: Oof.
2: So unless you have insurance, you're looking at scrapping a trailer at that point. So
1: Uh, And I mean, they're also absolute magnets for animals. I I couldn't begin to tell you the number of people I know that have these travel trailers and have squirrel damage. Mice, squirrels, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Nice and,
2: and a lot of times too, is you know, when you put it in storage for the winter, when you take it out in the spring, make sure before you power it on or, or you know, send yeah. gas through the lines or anything like that, try to check as much as you can. If you find droppings, um, if you find a nest or anything like that, almost, almost try to rip stuff apart because they will eat through insulation. Um, they will eat, I don't know if they'll eat through gas lines, because those are typically made of metal, but they will eat the insulation on the wires. And a lot of times when you apply power, and you know we've got 110 volts going through this and 30 amps. It's when you're going to have a fire, right? So, um, yeah, these are notorious for animals living them through winter, and you know it's it's a telltale sign if you find droppings within the, the uh, trailer when you when you are putting it up in spring and such. So, well,
3: actually, I discovered something about my Mazda too. So, if your trailers old. Um, it's poly, it's PVC like wire sheathing, right? But now because of the green movement, all the wire sheathing of uh, for the last five years or so is vegetable based. So the animals love it even more. So they'll strip off of that, that sheathing on the wires like you wouldn't believe. It. And so of course my Mazda got eaten alive. And uh, so yeah, that's that's why they're doing it.
2: Huh. I've, I've heard lies. as well. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, put like Ivory, is it Irish Spring soap within your trailer, like yep. shavings? Um, um, that's one way to do it. Peppermint oil. They really hate the peppermint oil. Um, you can obviously put traps, like rat traps or mouse traps. Another great thing is. Go under your RV, um, and a lot of the older ones don't have the skid plate that mine has. That's basically covering all these tanks up. Um, but even with the skid plates that are there, and I'm calling it a skid plate, it's just a piece of plastic, guys. I'm sorry, but um, you know, take some insulating foam, like the expanding foam, and go through and fill every single gap you can find. Even if it's only like a one-inch gap for where a pipe is coming out for you know your your drain pipes or something. Believe it or not, a mouse will fit through there and will wreak damage and hell through your trailer. Um, but yeah, fill fill any voids, cracks and seams and all that kind of stuff with that insulating foam underneath your trailer and it should hopefully prevent you know, critters from getting into your trailer. I wouldn't be worried about you know, stuff like raccoons and stuff like that I mean, if they're getting in your trailer, you've got other problems But
3: I mean, you say foam is good because they keep obviously a better R-value on your trailer, but also steel, they can still chew through that, but steel wool they won't chew through, so if there's an issue there as well, if they've already chewed through a spot, you can put steel wool in to prevent them doing it again but there's also, uh, obviously, you can do the bait stations with the, the, the poison, like you mentioned, the mouse traps as well. Uh, garlic, let's uh, see, kayak house dryer sheets. They It all repels them. Uh, I heard that
2: as well, yeah. 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 And Jeez. even they said, like, some glue traps. I mean, you, you, you can buy a 30-pack of glue traps on, on Amazon, stick them everywhere in there, because you're not going to be in the trailer time in winter. And the more traps you have out, the more likelihood you're going to catch one, right? So, yeah.
3: yeah. Absolutely. So uh, Sorry. This podcast later, but did we talk about the uh, motor brakes right off the bat?
2: Yeah, we did. And and we just kind of mentioned that most travel trailers have a, a rear bumper that's only rated for about 300 pounds. So a lot of times it's only meant to have like a spare tire, which is going to weigh anywhere from 60 to 80 pounds. And then yeah. um, you can add a bike rack and maybe one or two bikes on there. You know, the 300 pounds it's probably you're probably even safe with four or 500 pounds. But again, this is going to be something that's bouncing all the time. Um, it's putting it's putting flex and stress on your rear bumper. I, I've seen pictures of people that put more than they're supposed to, and you, your whole bumper just falls off. I mean, again, these these things are built quickly. Um, the welds are not the best, right? So um, you can though get um, you know aftermarket bumpers that are a lot more solid um, that are that are welded in or bolted into the frame, and you're looking at being able to carry um, a lot more weight. I've seen people with some more cycles on the back. I've seen people with golf carts actually on the back of their travel uh, trailer so I don't know what those weigh but they must be close to a thousand pounds I'd say or a few hundred pounds at least so. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Was there anything else I wanted to cover? I think we covered electrical. Um, We covered um, water for the most part. Um, LP gas. So just quickly, most of these trailers are going to come with um, two 20-pound tanks or uh, five gallons each. Um, So you're looking at 10 gallons of gas on board. Um, Again, your your propane gas is going to be used for um, your hot water heater, your furnace. Um, Most of them have a two or three burner cooktop, have an oven, um, and... Yeah, so that's it. So, And and your fridge, I'm sorry. So your fridge is three-way, so you'll typically have a 12-volt, 110-volt, or uh, propane-powered fridge. And the one thing, um, the one piece of advice that was given to me is, you know, when you're turning on your gas for the first time, uh, when you get to a campsite or something like that, light your uh, burner for about on your stove for about 10 to 20 seconds because that is the last appliance on the line and what it does is it purges the line of any air. Because a lot of times I see a lot of questions of people saying, you know, my, my hot water heater is not starting, my fridge isn't starting, my furnace is working. as yes, because as the the actual appliance is trying to spark the gas, it's only sparking air because of all the air that's trapped in the line. So um, obviously just, just turn your burner on for 10 to 20 seconds, purges all the air out of the line, and then all your other appliances should work at that point. Um, quick upgrades for that type of system. I mean, you you can actually go up in size when it comes to the size of tank. Typically, you, you might see, I think it's a 33-pound tank that can go on the front. So you'd have two 33-pound tanks, which are eight gallons, I believe, each, as opposed to the 20-pound tanks that are typically your either- household barbecue tanks um, if you can inside of the RV you can actually put like a hundred pound tank they sell these things at Costco and you know one 100 pound tank is 520 pound tanks right so um, when it comes to recreational camping in the summertime typically most of your gas is going to be used on your hot water heater and uh, your fridge you're typically not going to be running a furnace um, so you know I've heard of people going like an entire season off two two uh, 20 pound tanks uh, mine as well has an outlet for the barbecue. So I just had to buy like a $20 hose off Amazon connect to the barbecue connect to a quarter inch quick connect on the bottom of the RV. So I don't have to take an additional propane tank with me. Um, I can just connect into the two tanks that are in front of the uh, coach at that point. So that's handy.
3: Well, the nice thing is propane, of course, lasts forever, right? There's no expiry on propane, so it can sit all winter and it's not going to go bad.
2: Right, yeah. so so for people looking to get a generator, like I've got a Honda EU um, 22, sorry, EU 2000i, so a little 2000 watt uh, generator, what, what I'd like to get is the propane conversion kit for the generator. Um, so instead of having gas, which we know gas can go still and all that kind of stuff, I've already got, you know, propane on the coach that I'm typically only using for hot water. But if I'm going to a campground, I'm not going to use my propane, I'm going to use their electricity to Keep my hot water right. Um, I'm typically not going to be using the cook stop. I'm not going to be using the oven. I mean, I'm going to be do- doing everything on the barbecue outside. Um, so, so yeah, so that's that's a good idea as well.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah then you can use a generator to, to top up your batteries if you don't have shore power, right?
2: Exactly. So that's the thing with, with power. I mean, if you, you obviously, if you have shore power, that's the ideal way to do it because you're not paying for that power. Well, you are through your campsite fees, but there's no additional cost for power. Um, solar, if you have it. And then if you need to have a generator, I mean, the generator can top up the batteries in just a matter of like two or three hours, right? So uh, with the amount of amps that this is pu- pushing out. Um one thing I, I know we're we're getting up the time here. One thing I wanted to mention is security. So um anyone who's had an RV or has an R V or travel trailer, look at your keys and if they say CH seven five one well I've got the same keys and the guy next to you at the RV camp has the same keys and what what happened is that the manufacturers for the luggage compartments at least on these RVs, they all use the same cam lock and it's CH751 so if you've got that key you can go to any travel trailer in any campsite in North America and open up their luggage compartments and typically these things I'm telling you they have hundreds if not thousands of dollars of stuff stored in them as far as electrical equipment all that kind of stuff Um, so the first thing you should do is go on something like Amazon or each trailer or something like that, replace your cam locks or 15 to 20 bucks a piece. Is it going to stop a determined thief? No, it's not because these luggage doors are made out of, you know, plastic and fiberglass. I mean, this is not going to stop somebody from putting a sledgehammer through the door, but it's going to stop the honest thief, so to speak, uh, from getting into your luggage compartments. Right. Um, So that's the number one thing. Again, these things are not built like tanks i mean if you have an exacto knife you can probably get through them i mean really it's like an aluminum skin then you have some insulation some some wooden backboard and that's it right so it's like most new homes you have an exacto knife you can get through the side of the house right so
3: but at least you're not going to have people, you know, your tools walking away on you type of thing, whether it just be your jack or your leveling device or whatever, right? So
2: Yeah. And then, you know, as far as um, I, just one thing I want to mention about electrical, which is really, really important is um, make sure you get a surge protector. So most of the campsites you're going to be going to for travel trailers, they're either going to have a 30 amp or 50 amp service. Um, get the service you need for your trailer. Um, it, you know, if it's 30 amp, make sure you get an adapter to go from 50 to 30 because you could be put into a 50 amp post and if you don't have the right adapter, you don't, you don't have power. For the weekend, but for twenty bucks, you can get an adapter, and you're all good. But the um, the surge protector is really good because um, if. You know, if the campground has really shoddy wiring or old wiring, or it has something like an open neutral, an open ground, or you know the polarities were reversed, these are things that a surge protector is going to be able to tell you. Hey, there's something wrong with this power. Don't connect your trailer. Or if there is an actual surge or like an overvoltage or an undervoltage coming into uh, the post, it's not going to screw with your trailer. And when I say that, um, you know, if if something, if you were to have a surge that goes through your trailer and you don't have the surge protector in place, um, you're looking at a blown inverter. Which is about a thousand bucks. You're looking at a hot water heater that's gone. You're looking at a, a lot of stuff, right? And this is typically yeah. not damage that's so going to be covered by the campground because you're basically signing a liability waiver form that they're not going to be responsible for that kind of stuff. So get yourself um, a good search protector. I think Progressive Industries or Camco, um, both of these companies make fairly good ones. They're fairly, um, you know, you, you can get these things almost anywhere. They're going to cost two or three hundred bucks, but a lot of them come with like a lifetime warranty. Um, and these are some things that they, uh, they actually actually come with a metal hasp around them that you can actually put a padlock and lock them because believe it or not these things do walk away from your camper um you know people that don't have them they see on your they see down your post if you're gone for the day you know it's a two or three hundred dollar item and it's not uncommon to hear that these things do get stolen unfortunately so uh just make sure you lock it to the post and hopefully we'll stop any honest thief right I right, good Let's to know see
1: and if you go back to those cam locks real quick i mean they're they're really not expensive um your best bet is to get them all keyed alike um <coughs> your, your better bet for security is to get an assortment of keys depending on how many uh um how many compartments you have but uh your local locksmith can can sort you out with those pretty quick too uh i know i've sold those before for no more than about 10 bucks a piece so I, they're um They're they're a common item. Anything with a CH series code, so CH501 and CH751 are probably the two most common. Mm -hmm. Anything with a CH series code is a pretty open source and uh, stay away from those.
2: Yeah, so the ones I got are actually uh, the ones I replaced mine with are magnetic locks that have something like 9,000 combinations that are possible. They're about 20 bucks a piece, but they're all, I paid an extra $1.50 to have them all keyed the same. Um, and basically instead of having, because again, these these um, these these locks are exposed to the elements year-round, so they're going to rust out and all that kind of stuff. So having a magnetic lock means I don't have anything to actually stick a key in. I just have um, a square face on the outside. The key is actually a square, and there's there's different combinations av- available. So again, it's, it's a little bit higher secure on something that could otherwise be broken into with a crowbar. So again, it's, it's, it's more peace of mind for me that i know that somebody's not going to walk up and use their key to open up my luggage compartment um otherwise yeah it's just a good investment it's going to cost you know like 20 bucks a lock like Alan said there so
1: no the, the magnetic locks are fantastic those are those are great you know it's actually just going to go there but then you you still <laughs> sorry <laughs> i just when i was
2: looking at them there was like you know like the typical tumbler lock there was the bicycle like you know the bi- the round bicycle lock i forgot the name of it is and then yeah the tubular the tubular lock, thank you. Um, and then you had the magnetic one. It was like $5 difference between each one. I'm like, at this point, I'm going to pay more shipping
1: for these things, so I may as well just get the best right, for $5 <laughs> in the difference. So, yeah. No, and they make they made great sense because, it, again, it, it becomes a, uh, a security through obscurity thing because um, I can go try my key in random locks, and I, it'll, it'll eventually fit just based on the law of probabilities, whereas with those magnetic locks, if you don't have that fob, then... Whatever key I happen to have in my pocket is completely useless.
2: Right. And the way I say too is that, you know, when you put this thing in storage or, you know, if you're if you're on a side of the road or something like that, or even if you're at Walmart, I mean, if somebody has this key, it's just very convenient for them to walk up, unlock an apartment. And is there anything of value in there? I mean, I've got I've got a nice little stainless steel barbecue that could walk a walk away. I've got a lot of I've got a DeWalt bag with all my electrical adapters, which believe it or not adds up to a few hundred bucks. That's something I could easily walk, walk away at that point. But again, I mean it's it's probably the same thing as somebody going around a parking lot and trying car doors. If the yep. door is locked, they're probably not gonna smash out the, the window. They're probably just gonna go to the next car and see if the door's unlocked at that point,
1: right? So M- make yourself not the easiest target. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: So do you guys have a, a link you can throw in, in the show notes just for that uh, magnetic lock?
2: Yeah, I can uh, source one and throw. Yeah, uh, I'll source one and throw it in. And uh, the very important thing too is that you actually take your cam locks out of your door and measure them properly, because there's like Alan could tell you there's like six or seven different sizes, and each manufacturer <laughs> use a different size based on the thickness of the door. Um, there's all 5 eight,
1: seven, eight inch, seven eight inch, and quarter inch and a half, like depending on the thickness of the door. As, when as I when so. I
2: was looking for them, I actually eyeballed them, and then I saw like all the different sizes. I'm like, I better I better measure this and. <laughs> Sure enough, I actually had to take the cam lock out of the door to get a proper measurement on it. What type of bracket has to go on the back? The actual um, diameter of the cam lock. So I think it was like half inch and five eighths and all that kind of stuff. So make sure you order the right ones because if not, you're going to be looking having to order this stuff again, right? So
1: yeah, um, there, there, there are a few little nuances there, and it, it's uh, your best bet. Yeah, is just take it just take it out, measure the di- measure every dimension that you can as as you're. Um, Looking at looking at the link that, mm. that we'll put in the show notes for it, and it'll, you'll be able to you'll see exactly what they want to see, and you'll be able to uh, yeah. Uh, be able to get it out there. Or get the, I'll get throw in a cheat sheet that you actually
2: print off and it's actually to scale. So you can actually take the cam lock and then put it against a piece of paper. You actually have to take a tape measure first and measure the little one inch line. And if it says one inch and your tape measure is right at one inch, then you know that the, you actually printed it at the scale. And then wherever you place your cam lock, it's going to tell you, okay, so you've got this diameter, you've got this length, you've got this type of cam. And then you basically just go down the options and you select the right one. So yeah, we'll put that in the show notes for everyone as well. So awesome. That's handy. Any other oh. questions? I think Ian had a couple more shelter from elements, better than a tent. Um, more bear resistant than a tent. Yep. <laughs> a little bit more. I'm not in bear country though. So on in Eastern Canada, we only have black bears. We don't have grizzlies or Kodiak bears or anything like that. So typically black bears are not an issue for us, um, but you still want to keep food away. Right. So a lot of times people will still have a cooler or have dry goods within a trailer. Just try to keep that thing out of reach of the bears and um, you know, it's it's not uncommon for them to go through a tent. I mean, I can't see them getting into a trailer, but again, these things are built pretty cheaply. So if the bear wants to get in, he might find a way in, right? So,
3: yeah, no, I hear you. Um, but at least there a, you know something comes up suddenly, meaning like uh, weather and stuff, at least it's better than doing a tent or whatever, and it's it's already preassembled when you get there, which is yeah. Like-
2: I mean, your, your comment or your question about prepacked. packed Oh, Ian's gone again. Um, around pre that's the thing. You know, we went for a camping trip last weekend. Uh, we were gone for three days. We came back. Uh, we spent a little bit of time cleaning it up, um, doing laundry for all the linens and all that kind of stuff, and then we put everything back in the trailer. And really, if I wanted to leave, I would just have to hook it up to the truck, and I could be gone in 20 minute, minutes, all of, Everything's in there. Everything that I need, um, you know, pots, pans, utensils, um, accessories, linens, um, sleeping bags, pillows. Everything's in there. So it's not something you have to pack and unpack as if you were going like a camping trip. It's all in there. You hook up your truck, you take off. Right. There is some preparedness that has to go into it. You have to make sure you have enough propane. You have to make sure that, uh, you know, you've got enough food on board. You have to make sure that you know where you're going. Is there going to be a 30 amp hookup? Is there going to be water? Is there going to be sewer? So make sure you know you you know all of this before you leave for the trip. But essentially, if if you're of that preparedness mindset, um, you can leave this packed and then you can go at a moment's notice essentially. right? So on Friday afternoon, you don't have to spend a few hours loading your truck up uh, to go on a camping trip. It's all there already. So that's one of the really nice aspects of it.
0: Now oh, that it's handy. Shall we uh, move into the podcast challenge?
3: Yeah, um, well, I figured out uh, that something you know guys can do is like a low cost item is uh, learn how to back up a trailer into a parking spot. It's actually that a might, skill set because I mean, if you think, go ahead. That's
0: that might not be as low cost as you think.
3: <laughs> well, no, you actually, that's better to do it now with like a, a cheap or <laughs> actual RV. So if you get like a little quad trailer or something and actually practice backing stuff up with like a little marathon ten foot aluminum trailer or something, much better to learn how to do it now than when you're actually like parking the the high value item.
2: And actually, when I was thinking about that, you can go to U-Haul and rent a tandem axle trailer for twenty bucks a day and learn how to park that. So, yeah, and yeah. it it is a, a
3: thing. Like it, it takes a lot of getting used to. It. Once you've got it mastered, yeah. it's pretty easy. But like whether it be a boat, an RV, or whatever, yeah, get some practice ahead of time. And it's just it's just one of those things you can learn ahead of time and, and just be done with it. So it took um, me a lot of cursing, a lot of swearing, <laughs> a lot of practice. Yep. <laughs> And just as a uh, as a thing for people that are like never done with uh, anything with RVs before, I just threw a link in there uh, for maybe something to consider. Like, there's actually like they don't always have to be giant fifth wheel trailers. There's actually a a micro RV I threw in here. It's it's kind of neat. It's not cheap because it's brand new, but just so you can get a picture of it, it's uh yeah 500 pounds and it toys behind pretty much anything, including a motorcycle. (laughs) So (laughs) it's uh yeah you can start small, work your way up, but give it a try.
2: You know what's funny, though, know, is uh, the, so the dealership where I bought my trailer, again, I, I said at the beginning of the show I paid it like 21000 for one-year-used one, year used one. Um, but I'm looking at the price of the uh, trailer you put in the show link, and it's 7990 oh and I'm like... It's crazy, <laughs> but... <laughs> eventually those things will be used, right? And I mean, well, of course, once
3: it dries off a lot, you know it's going to take a pay cut uh, or a price price hit. So, I mean, give it a couple of years and one of these micros might be around for like five, six thousand bucks before you know it.
2: And there's actually a huge movement um, and like subculture around teardrop uh, trailers and a lot of them are home built um, and people like share plans online and there's these, maybe not with COVID-19 right now, but like there's a lot of big meetups that happen during the summertime. We'll have like anywhere from, you know, three to 500 tiered up teardrop trailer owners that are going on a rally together and they're just sharing tips and tricks on you know how to maximize the amount of space because again you're you're looking at something that's what maybe five feet by seven feet of living space yeah. you know whereas you know early in the show we're talking about the one i bought that's 29 feet well that's that's nice but again that's there's a lot of disadvantages there right i mean it's not something you can move easily you're not stealthy at all you're not going to outrun anything so there's a lot of cons there as well so uh-huh. And gas. So don't don't get me started on how much gas. The stakes. To- <laughs>
1: <laughs> we <Yeah>. thought we <laughs>
2: thought we we're going to save some money instead of renting cottages to actually get a travel trailer. But I think just in the amount of uh, campsite fees we've um, ponied up for this summer, we're we're way over our budget for camping, and that doesn't include me hauling this thing across the province either. So sometimes
3: the purchase price is the cheapest price. Yep. <laughs> You're it's like, <laughs> just, just like buying a boat. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Cool. All right, let's move into upcoming events.
1: Um, there are no upcoming events. COVID has canceled the world. We're still unsure about TACOM 2020. Uh, we've got fingers crossed. If it is a go, um, we will be there with... Um, proverbial bells on i promise that i will actually wear bells if we can go there if that's what it takes to get us there um there is a a link in the show notes for tickets and that will be the um uh um the most up-to-date information as well as to whether it's happening or not so uh if if it is a go we will have our whole crew there to uh um along with the rest of the progun canadian podcast network that will um be broadcasting and meeting and greeting and i'm sure imbibing in more than a few adult beverages and um, so come uh come see us and say hi if that does happen
0: absolutely but please show up with more than just bells on Alan
1: oh no 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 just bells bells. (laughs) bells. a lot of them but just bells
0: okay okay. as long as it's a lot of them let's move into some shout outs Uh,
1: quick shout out to to my cousins that are um, I think they're listening they may have tuned out at this point because you know that's what they do Uh, we spent the weekend camping it was uh, good times and great memories and um, I still don't feel great but that's all right (laughs) <laughs> as for
3: myself so I want to give a shout out to uh, Melanie at Northern Elite Firearms uh, she was able to do a custom order for me which is uh, something that nobody else was able to get so far so that's uh, great she'll be on the way soon also a uh, quick shout out to Travis at Silvercore I, I meant to do it last week but I think I was either missing or cut off and I think sometime happened, something happened last week anyways yes uh, like yeah that's right. Uh, so we could check out the podcast on iTunes, uh, the Silvercore Podcast. It's a, it's a nice little podcast for all sorts of things outdoors, and also just a quick show that he does uh, still do pal training in the uh, Greater Vancouver area. So if you are interested in that, contact uh, Travis at Silvercore.
0: Awesome. Uh, so for email and iTunes reviews, the uh, the inbox has been a little bit quiet since last episode. We had uh, quite a few emails through last episode, but everybody disappeared. So. Uh, I got to read them out and uh, comment on them, but um, this week quiet. So is what it is. Um, I
1: I guess we're still pricks. We made fun of <laughs> made fun of the guy that made fun of. The, was, they called us pricks. Yeah, I think we're still pricks. So. Yeah, I think we are. Yeah, but that's okay. Just own it. It's good.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. So yeah, we're a bunch of pricks on uh, on a podcast and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, with that and us being a whole bunch of pricks uh, we're going to bring episode uh, number 75 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes Podbean, Spotify or of course your favorite podcast app, Uh, please help us out and submit a review, Uh, you got to come up with something more original than calling us pricks though
1: that's been done, Uh, and of course it helps other people find us we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click that little bell that gives you notification when we are going live. Uh, if you want to find me directly, I'm on Instagram at PPSWO or here by email Alan at prepperpodcast.ca. That's Alan with one L.
2: And for me, I can be reached at hfxprepper at gmail.com or hughes at prepperpodcast.ca. I also have my own YouTube channel. Just search for HFX Prepper on YouTube.
3: I think HFX Prepper needs to do a video on his fifth wheel out kit.
2: I know. <laughs> absolutely. I know. I'm lacking videos.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right. You can reach uh, Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast on iTunes and YouTube. You can find us discussing white government, waste, in society. Triggers me enough to maybe want to go out and buy an RV and head off into the lids.
0: <laughs> All right. And please check out to rapid survival. That's rapid You can get me there on the live chat while you're buying some prepper gear. Unfortunately, I do not sell RVs. So you're going to have to look elsewhere for those. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So uh, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be prepared, stay safe
3: and keep learning.